Are you a business owner or entrepreneur who's had great success in the business world? And now you want to launch a speaking career to share your message with the world. If that's you, then listen up. 25-year speaking industry veteran Brett Ridgway has released his latest special report, Three Key Things Entrepreneurs Must Master to Build a Profitable Speaking Business. To pick up your copy, go to brettridgeway.com forward slash freebie. Welcome to the Spotlight on Speaking Show with Brett Ridgway, where you'll learn the keys to building a profitable speaking business from speaking industry pros. Each week, we interview a great guest who will share his or her speaking journey, identify what their keys to success have been, and highlight some critical mistakes they've made along the way that you'll want to avoid. Be sure to visit our website at spotlightonspeaking.com. And while you're there, subscribe to us via your favorite network. Now, sit back, tune in, and get ready to meet this week's guest. Hello again, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Spotlight on Speaking Show with Brett Ridgway. And I am the aforementioned Brett Ridgway, and I'm excited this week because my guest is Peter George. And Peter is an award-winning author, public speaking coach, and speaker himself. He's the author of The Captivating Public Speaker. He's been a public speaking coach for 18 years. He's been a public speaker for 36 years and has spoken in seven countries and 50-plus countries virtually. Man, that's a lot of speaking, dude. He's the creator <laughs> of the Ant Framework, and he's a TEDx coach, and he's the host of the Public Speaking with Peter George podcast. As a public speaking coach, Peter specializes in helping professional speakers, authors, consultants, and executives be calm, confident, and credible every time they speak. Now, as I mentioned, he is the host of the Public Speaking with Peter George podcast, which I have been honored to have been a guest on at one point in time. And let's get rocking and rolling. So, Peter, George, welcome to the Spotlight on Speaking show. It's a pleasure to be here, Brett. Thanks for having me. So you've been at this game a long time, Peter. So what was the impetus for you to get into the speaking industry in the first place? Last thing I ever wanted to do. <laughs> I grew up with a lisp and a stutter. And the last thing you want to do when you have a lisp and a stutter is communicate with people. So I was shy. I was introverted. But by the time I got to high school, the lisp and the stutter pretty much took care of themselves. I had therapy during a child, but as a child, but it took care of itself. Mm -hmm. But I still didn't want to communicate with people because that's not my mindset until I got to the corporate world when I realized I had to. And then after leaving the corporate world and starting my own business, I saw the true value in being able to present well. Because every time I presented out in the community, our numbers went up in my business. Mm -hmm. And my wife, who's an accountant and my business partner, said to me, do more of that. If that if that increases our revenue, just keep doing that. And that was really the impetus of getting me up on stages and speaking in meetings and the like. And I've never looked back. So in that initial speaking foray, Peter, then you were speaking as a, a business building tool for your wife's accounting firm. Is that what I'm gathering? Or No, it was a company we owned together. Okay. We owned a publishing company that we started from scratch and uh, sold it 15 years later. And... It was in that company working together, and I was out speaking. And every time I spoke, we got that bump in revenue. So it was the more you could speak, the more added revenue you had. 
All right, so how long between the initial push into doing the speaking for your publishing company to establishing a public speaking business as your primary venture? Well, they kind of grew together. Yeah. Uh, when when I was speaking, while we had the publishing company, when I was out speaking, it grew to the point where I was away 158 room nights per year on average. That's a lot of road time. An awful lot of road time. Not quite half a year, but it was pretty darn close to it. And my wife ran the company on a daily basis. I was in and out because of the traveling. So they kind of grew together. And then when we sold that company in 2005, I continued to speak, just not as often. One, I was tired. 15 <laughs> I can't years imagine of, why. <laughs> of traveling that much. The last thing I wanted to do at that point was travel anymore. Mm -hmm. So I did some local things, but that was about it. But during that time, Brett, what happened was some we'd have conversations, myself and other speakers. And some people would say, hey, what about this? Why did you do that? Or how did you do that? Whatever it might be. And I had so much fun helping them mm -hmm. that it was kind of like, wow, I really enjoy this. I enjoy this as much as I do speaking on stage. And that's where the coaching evolved from. So I like to say, Peter, that there are, are three types of speaker in my mind. One is the keynote presenter paid by the corporation or association to come in and deliver a talk. The second is what I call the platform seller. So they're going to speak for free, but then they're going to offer some type of back-end product or service from the platform. And the third is just the business building speaker. They're not necessarily trying to directly monetize from that speech, but they're trying to make people aware of whatever their primary product or service is. And then hopefully some people will need that, whether it's chiropractic or accounting or, or book publishing or whatever it may be. So which of those arenas have you played in yourself? All three. All three. I've done keynotes. I've done a lot of breakouts over the years where I've trained for public speaking. And I've spoken on stage at no charge and sold the books in the back of the room. I'd be recently. Uh, I don't sell from the stage necessarily, but I will have the books for sale in the back of the room. Okay. And so I've done everything you described, Brett. And depending on the situation, I'll take any of them. I'll, I'll give you an example. There's a place I speak once a year, not too far from my house, about 20 minutes away. It's kind of convenient. And they asked me the very first time, they said, we don't have much of a budget. Would you mind speaking for nothing? I said, you know, I don't mind at all. 20 minutes away. I love to get up and speak. Well, what we found out, and this started several years ago, is for every 26 people they put in the room, I get a client. So what was speaking for nothing started to turn out to be a well-paid hour. Sure. Because I got clients from it. Now, they would put more than 26 people in the room, but that's what it averaged. So I could walk away with one, two, three clients for our non-paid gig. So that's why when people say, no, never speak for nothing, you have value. Well, you know, they also give shrimp away at the end of the grocery <laughs> aisle for a reason. So which of those speaking models do you like the best, Peter? <laughs> this is going to be a horrible answer. Whichever one works at that time. <laughs> and it's different things. Uh, you know, there's another story I have where they, someone, an organization who could certainly afford to pay me, wanted me to come in for their annual event. And it wasn't local to me. I had to travel and they didn't want to pay me. 
And I hemmed in hard because I was thinking about, well, who will be in the audience? Is that my primary target? Which right. it wasn't necessarily. So that's why I thought about it quite a lot. And then I found out they were paying everybody but the speaker. The DJ was getting paid. The printer was getting paid. Of course, the hotel mm -hmm. and the food service at the hotel was all being paid for. The only activity that night not getting paid would be the speaker. And at that point, I said, no, thanks. I have an up-and-coming speaker I can recommend, but it won't be me. So it's what works in that situation for me. So, you, Peter, you've obviously been very successful as a speaker. If you had to put your your finger on maybe two or three things that have been the biggest keys to your success as a speaker, what would those be? Number one, without a doubt, it's not about me. So for your listeners, it's not about you guys. It's the people you're speaking to. It's all about them. You know, Brett, I like to say that the last person on earth who would ever show up for an event to hear me speak just because it was me, just because it's Peter George, was my mom. That was the only person on this earth. And she died in 2003, which means no one is showing up just because it's me. They're showing up for, for what they're going to get from me. Mm -hmm. Even my wife, who's my best friend, won't even come because it's me. <laughs> She's heard me speak way too many times now. All right, so that's one. What's number two, Peter? Number two is being prepped. Who are you speaking to? What do they need to know? to get to the objective of why you're hired or, or asked to be there. What do they want to know? goes right along with what they need to know. We often do the need to know, but we don't necessarily include the want to know. I'll give you an example. It's not what I speak about, but I'll give you an example. If you, if you were a CEO, president of a company, and you had to address your 350 employees to let them know that in three months, 10% of the workforce was getting laid off. Hmm. Wouldn't you want to know severance pay? Wouldn't you want to know there's all these things that automatically go off in your head? Answer the things people want to know in your talk. So that's number two. What do they want need to know? And number three, and again, it's about them. It has still to do with prep. A lot of us as speakers forget about, th we don't think about how we want to make them feel. And how do you want to make them feel? Do you want to make them conf feel confident? Do you want to make them feel like they can accomplish something? Do you want to, maybe in a sales presentation, light a little bit of a fire under their butts? How do you want to make them feel? All these things go along with the first one of it's all about them. That's how you get people engaged. There are other tactics like asking questions and the like, surely. But when you make it about them, they'll be engaged. All right, so Peter, I want to dig a little bit deeper into the your point number two there where you talk about the importance of finding out what their pain points are and all that stuff. So I find by and large that one of the things speakers are very weak on is truly doing their homework ahead of time to figure out what the demographics of that audience are, whether it's a keynote presentation or a multiple speaker event or whatever it may be. So what are some of your, your keys to truly finding out what those pain points are? How do you go about that? Well, as a matter of fact, that was what I was doing just before we got on to record this. I was asking where I was just booked to speak in April. I was asking the people the questions I normally do, the demographics of the people, 
who had spoken to them on this subject or similar subject before. Okay. What were their, did they accept it? Were they against it? Are they champions? Are they naysayers? I go down this whole list that you can find in my book and uh, about what I particularly ask about people. I want to know as much as I can. I don't think I can know too much. Sure. And you have to play that too, because you don't want to drive the meeting plan crazy with you know, here's a litany of questions. <laughs> yeah. But there are questions that are pertinent. Some will be pertinent to this talk, but not the next one. Some are pertinent to every talk. And I ask those questions to find out who they are, what they want and need to know, what the objective is for this entire presentation, if not the entire event. And then you can start to zone in. But I also will call, if I can, or email, the champions and the naysayers. The champions, I want to know why they're looking forward to this, what they'd like to get out of it personally. That might be a little different than what the meeting planner thinks it is. Mm -hmm. So I want to hear from them. And then the naysayers, not to change their minds, I'm not going to do that. But I want to know why they're not happy that I might be coming in or anybody is coming in. And, and case in point, I was told by someone I was hired, a, a major corporation said, I, we have to let you know, most people are not thrilled that you're coming. Hmm. And I said, why? And they said, no, it's not you. Truthfully, they have no idea who you are. <laughs> but we had someone in here before in a similar or related field who just came up and spoke about what he wanted to speak about. It didn't relate to us. It didn't relate to our situation. It didn't relate okay. to what the listeners mm -hmm. could do. He just spoke. You're the next one up. So they're going from a bad experience saying, this is going to be a waste of time. Yeah. Mm. I so want to know you, that. Did you accept that speaking engagement, Peter? hundred percent. Cause I have a I, colleague who is a, uh, Asked to come in and speak to a group, an association, I think it was, and she was told in advance that she was being brought in to provide a contrarian point of view and that some in the audience probably would not be receptive to her message. Now, in that particular instance, she opted to pass on that speaking engagement because she wanted a responsive audience or whatever. So, I mean, you got to obviously weigh it as a speaker. What are the pros and cons of you accepting any particular engagement? But uh, going in as a, to prevent a contrarian point of view probably wouldn't be on my high on my list of de desire speaking opportunities <laughs> no mine neither that's it's, it's like hey let me let me tell you how you're wrong you so know? peter's been sharing some great advice with us this morning and i do have some other questions i want to ask you peter but before we do let's take a quick break for a word from our sponsor are you a business owner or entrepreneur who's had great success in the business world and now you want to launch a speaking career to share your message with the world if that's you, then listen up. 25-year speaking industry veteran Brett Ridgway has released his latest special report, Three Key Things Entrepreneurs Must Master to Build a Profitable Speaking Business. To pick up your copy, go to brettridgeway.com forward slash freebie. And we are back with the Spot on Speaking Show. My guest this week is Peter George. So one of my favorite questions to ask people, Peter, is, all right, let's let's bury your soul a little bit here, buddy. Let's not be afraid to maybe share something that was embarrassing along the way that you've done as a speaker that was a mistake that you would highly advise aspiring speakers not to make. Other than making sure your pants are zippered? 
Well, that's always number one on a guy's list, but <laughs> yeah, well, I've done that by the way. So, um, not made sure, but don't tell a joke. You hear so many people say, start off with a joke. Humor is awesome when appropriate. Humor is awesome. Most of the times it is appropriate. Telling jokes is a skill, right? Most of us can't tell them well to our friends in our living room. Because we don't have the timing. We forget the the punchline, whatever it might be. And Brett, I went out for a fairly large speaking engagement. And for whatever reason, while I was walking out on stage, my brain said to me, you know that opening you've been working on for the last two months that you know will work? It just fits everything you, all the research you've done. You know that opening? I'm like, yep, don't do it. Tell this joke instead. And I told the joke and I told it well, actually. It was just highly inappropriate. Highly inappropriate. It was, it's not sexually based or anything like that, but it had to do with that area's history. And it wasn't good. I thought it was hilarious. 750 people in the audience did not. That's not the way to get started with a group, Peter. No. And Brett, what I did was when I realized how bad it was, and my wife was in the front row with the chairman of the board of the company and his wife. And I looked over the edge of the stage and my wife just had her face in her hands and the chairman of the board just was shaking his head a little bit. And I I thought I might as well get a sip of water, which I did. took the glass, had a sip or two of water. And but I've got 58 minutes left. It can only go up from here. There you go. It certainly can't get any worse. And it actually ended well. And until that chairman of the board retired, I still spoke at that organization every other year, which was amazing because I thought I'd never be asked back again. Well, the proverbial you made lemonade out of a lemon start there certainly applies here. So. Yeah, right, it, so it was about, lucky about, and he was forgiving. <laughs> yeah. So how about another mistake either you made or you've seen other speakers make that's a, a big no-no in your mind? Well, we can go right back to not prepping. Not prepping. Or, you know, are most of our talks very much the same to the same type of audience? Sure. Should they be customized for that organization or company in that situation? I believe all the time. Mm-hmm. So... I see so many people, however, come and give the almost verbatim talk to each organization. Right. And I I believe that's a mistake. I believe that's thinking about us and not about that particular audience. Mm-hmm. And just do the prep, do the necessary prep. Don't rush it. Certainly don't wing it. Are there people who can? Yeah, there's a few, but then there are three-year-olds who can play Mozart. So most three-year-olds cannot. Most of us can't wing a real good, effective presentation that benefits the audience. So let's talk about that a little bit more, Peter. So when you are when you have a signature talk, if you're giving advice to a new speaker or whatever, what is your advice to them for you know, developing your, your core module or modules or whatever? And then where do you be able to adapt that speech based on the amount of time you have to present from stage? Some of the things you can do is include a hot button or a hot topic with that particular organization. 
You can include things that they're working on, their initiatives. You can include some of their employees, if not the president or CEO or executive director, and have them realize that, one, you've done your homework. It's not really the reason to do it, but they will realize that. And two, it makes it theirs. It makes it their talk. And they feel like you know them. It's it's no different than I believe you don't use acronyms and initials unless everybody in the audience mm-hmm. knows what those acronyms and initials mean. Otherwise, they they don't feel comfortable. But I'm also a believer in that when you do use acronyms and initials, they see that they that you've done your homework. You're not using, everybody here calls it the XYZ initiative. Well, when you call it the XYZ initiative, as opposed to that long name it has, they realize you've done your homework. It feels natural to them. And it's not on a conscious basis necessarily. They're not sitting there going, wow, look at that. He knows what he's talking about. But on the unconscious level, where they feel comfortable with you, that's where that really comes into play. So when you're in a platform selling situation, Peter, if you're going to break down your talk into percentages, what percentage of your talk do you feel should be content and what percentage do you feel should be your pitch, let's call it? I don't pitch from the stage at all. A lot of people do, and I've seen people who are tremendous at it without being invasive in the, of their talk. They do it so well. I, On the other hand, I see people that you, you might as well have just bought the commercial. They're up there using it too much. Mm -hmm. Now, it's not to say that I don't, when I'm making a point, maybe pick up my book. And this is an old tactic. This has been around for hundreds of years. Pick up my book and just say, as it says, this quote in my book that I use that's always meant a lot to my audience is, and you read it out of your book. They see your book. You've made mention of it. But it's not invasive. It's for sale in the back. Uh, I I do say that towards the end if I do have them readily available. But that's it. So I downplay it the other way. Mm-hmm. I never want to appear desperate to sell. I just don't like that. I don't like that in me. But again, I see other people do it so, so well. All right. So this has been an awesome interview, Peter. I really appreciate you spending time with me today. Why don't you take a couple minutes to tell people a little bit more about what you do I think you have a free resource that you'd like to mention and how they can get involved in your world if they so choose. Yeah, the easiest way to get in touch with me is just go to my website, petergeorgepublicspeaking.com. Nice and easy, petergeorgepublicspeaking.com. There they can learn very much about me, how I help people, experts in their fields, whether they want to speak in business, whether they want to speak on the stage, breakouts, whatever it may be. They can also download more than 50 free tips and they'll see where they can do that right on the, at my website. Uh, I, I also offer your listeners, Brett, if they just want to reach out, if they have a question, I'm happy to answer it. So if they wanted to reach out from my website and ask a question of, hey, what do you do here? What, I'm happy to do that for people. Well, that's greatly, I'm highly appreciative of you offering that, Peter. And uh, I mean, I know the, there will be a lot of people listening that, you know, trying to figure out their path as a speaker and all that. And anybody that can have the kind of experience you have that they're able to bounce ideas off of or ask questions to is going to be a great value to them. So thank you so much for that. So my pleasure. 
So this has been another episode of the Spotlight on Speaking Show with Brett Ridgway. I'd like to sincerely thank my guest, Peter George, for joining me this week. And as always, I wish you the greatest of success in all that you do. And may 2023 be your greatest year yet. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye. This has been the Spotlight on Speaking Show with Brett Ridgway. Be sure to join us every week as we interview speaking industry pros and have them share their best tips for building a profitable speaking business. Until next week, thank you for tuning in. And remember to visit our website at SpotlightOnSpeaking.com so you can enjoy even more great episodes like this one. While you're here, be sure to subscribe via your favorite network. We look forward to seeing you next time on the Spotlight on Speaking Show. Until then, our sincere best wishes to you for the greatest of success as you work to build your own profitable speaking business.